My name is Stuart Blythe. I'm a member of the faculty here at the Divinity College, and I'm going to be preaching this morning. I should say to you right at the beginning, at the end of this sermon, I am going to ask you to do something. I know that might feel cause some of you to feel a bit of anxiety, but don't worry. I'm not going to ask you to come down the front. What I'm going to ask you, you will be able to do right where you're sitting. So relax, but I'm going to ask you, and I'm going to ask you to do it because what I'm going to ask you to do today, someone needs you to do for them. The two boys, Maurice and Joseph, sat terrified on their seat in the crowded railway carriage. The train had just pulled into Dax station. The platform was lined with armed German SS soldiers. The boys could hear shouting, was, was that shooting, as some people tried to avoid the soldiers who were now forcing their way onto the train and mechanically working their way along the aisle, opening the different carriages. Papers! They asked, checking for people's travel documents. This was occupied France, 1941-1942. Increasingly, the Nazis were persecuting Jewish people. They were forcing them to wear yellow stars on their clothes to identify themselves. And the deportations that would soon follow were already threatened and in the air. And as a consequence of that, Morris and, and Joseph's parents, Maurice was 12 and Joseph was 10, had encouraged them to make this train journey to try and get to the south of France and from there to go across country and to try and cross into the French free zone. Papers, the soldier said as he opened the door of the carriage where they were seated. Even the people in that carriage who had travel documents were nervous. Is this all you've got? The soldier said to a gray-haired woman with a purple coat. Well, well, yes. These won't do. Take her off. She was unceremoniously removed. The boys were Jews. They were traveling alone. And they had no papers. A fact that they had made known to a priest who was also sitting in the carriage and who was now joking with the soldier. He was joking about the fact that he didn't look like his picture and joking about the fact that he'd lost weight. And this led to some humor around how much do priests actually eat? The soldier seemed convinced and was just about to turn away from the priest. And the priest said, oh, and, and yes, the, the children, they are with me. Okay, said the soldier and turned around one last time towards the priest and said to him, Father, don't let yourself go too much. The people need you. When the soldiers had left the train, the priest said to the children, we can get off now. Where are you going? Oh, we're, we're trying to travel to Hajimo. And, and from there, we're hoping to go across country into the, the free zone. Okay, good. I'll take you for breakfast. And then I'll walk you along to the bus station. When they reached the bus station and the, the priest meant, went to make his leave from them, Joseph went and said, Father, I want to thank you for what you did for Maurice and I back on the train. What did they do? You lied for us. I did not lie. I said you were with me. All the children in the world are with me. We actually know very little bit 
very little about that priest who makes an appearance in Joseph Jofu's wartime memoir, which has the title, A Bag of Marbles. When the priest appears, we don't know his name and we don't know from where he came. We don't know anything about his genealogy or indeed his theology. We don't know about his education and we know nothing about his ordination yet, it seems, or at least it seems to me, that he acts the way a priest should, at least a priest who is a follower of the person of Jesus Christ. He's willing to make the boy's troubles his own and he treats them with humanity, with hospitality, and with generosity. Sometimes people need a priest. In our reading this morning from Hebrews chapter 5, we're introduced to another mysterious priest. I'm sure you heard his name. He appears, verse 6 and verse 10, and his name is Melchizedek. And immediately it raises the question, who the heck is Melchizedek? And although that's such a good question, and there is no doubting it rhymes so very well, it's not the question that the writer to the book of Hebrews is trying to address. Instead, the writer to the book of Hebrews is addressing the question, who the heck is Jesus? The writer to Hebrews refers to Melchizedek by way of an analogy to say, well, Jesus is sort of like Melchizedek. At this point, those of us who preach can maybe learn a lesson. If we're going to use analogies to explain the Christian faith, it's maybe helpful if people understand the analogy. Because if people don't understand the analogy, they may get a little bit confused. So, for example, people might actually think that the doctrine of the Trinity is a three-leaf clover in green in colour. But more seriously, what can happen if people don't understand the analogy is that they spend all time, all the time looking at the analogy, in this case Melchizedek, instead of at the focus, in this case, Jesus. The writer to Hebrews could maybe expect that his first listeners would have understood more about Melchizedek than we do, and certainly the writer will say more about Melchizedek later on. But that's chapter 7, not my chapter. I'm staying mainly in chapter 5. And fortunately, I think the comparison is quite easy. The writer to the book of Hebrews is making the point that Jesus is a high priest like Melchizedek because like Melchizedek, Jesus does not become a high priest because of his genealogy, because he belongs to the clan of priests, because he's from the line of Aaron, but rather Jesus, like Melchizedek, becomes a high priest directly appointed by God because of the quality of his character. In Hebrews chapter 5, it's very clear Jesus is the Son of God. Verse 5, God makes, appoints Jesus as a high priest. Verse 6, but here we need to kind of get our mind around something. Jesus is not the high priest because he is the Son of God. Rather, Jesus becomes a high priest because, as the Son of God, he enters fully into the human condition, including its suffering. His loud cries and tears are expressions of his learned obedience, which includes suffering, and these educate him, qualify him, fit him, or as a number of translations say, perfect him to become a high priest because the qualification of a priest 
is that it has to be one who can empathize and fully understand the human situation. In Hebrews chapter 5, Jesus is appointed as a high priest because as the Son, he enters into our human situation, and because of that, he's designated high priest, and so he can become the source of salvation for all who will believe in him. In Hebrews 5, Jesus becomes a high priest because sometimes people need a priest. And sometimes people need a priest now. I remember the silence. It was deafening. It hung like a cloud in the room. The sermon finished and there was silence. There was a big crowd as well, several thousand people. The event was Spring Harvest, a UK evangelical event held at Easter time. Dr. Robbins has spoken at this event several times. The occasion I'm, I'm remembering goes back to the 1980s when one of the sites for Spring Harvest was in Scotland. The preacher preached and there was silence. The silence would be broken quite quickly by a worship leader who unfortunately I think was following too tightly the Spring Harvest timetable and could have waited a little bit longer. I know that sounds harsh, but I think we should have been allowed to linger in the silence or maybe even leave in the silence after the sermon. The title of the sermon was The Pain of Christ. And when the preacher preached it, he did not take us to the pain of Christ, the suffering of Christ, the persecution of Christ, the tears of Christ during his life. He didn't take us, for example, to the tears of Jesus over the death of his friend Lazarus. The preacher could have taken us there, but took us a different place. The preacher also didn't take us to the pain of Christ during his death to the Garden of Gethsemane, to the cries from the cross. He did not take us there. He could have taken us there, not least because I think this preaching event happened on the Wednesday, like today, in the lead up to Easter Sunday. The preacher could have taken us to the pain of Jesus Christ in his death. There is no doubt that when the writer to the Hebrews refers to the loud cries and tears of Jesus, he's referring to both his experience in life and death, but the preacher didn't take us there. The preacher took us a completely different place. He took us to the present. And he spoke to us about the pain of Christ in the present. As he looks at the world with its pain, its injustices, its discrimination, its tears, its sadness, its angst, in its heart, a world which God loves and for which he died. He took us to the pain of Christ in the present, and there was silence. Someone might say there was silence because it was a kind of a strange idea, and we do know that surprising ideas stick. I don't think that was the reason. I think there was silence because it was a holy silence. I think it was a message 
that we needed to hear. I think we needed to hear about a God who not merely cared, but cares, came, but comes, suffered, but suffers, stood, but stands with us and for us against all that would demoralize us, dehumanize us, and ultimately destroy us. In the book of Hebrews, when the writer speaks about Jesus becoming a high priest, his message to the people is not merely he was a high priest or he became a high priest. His message is he is your high priest forever and now. And that is what was preached in the sermon on the pain of Christ. And we were silent because sometimes the people need a priest and need it in the present. Just as I remember the silence, so I remember the sounds. The sounds, strange sounds, strangely simultaneously comforting and disturbing, the sounds of medical equipment and monitors. I was standing in the intensive care of the neonatal unit at the Princess Regent Hospital in Glasgow. I stood there beside and at one point I stood between the incubators of two recently born twin boys, both of whom were now struggling for their lives. I stood there with their parents and I stood there with their close family and they are in that place under the artificial lights and with the cacophony of sounds and with dedicated medical staff doing their duty, I dedicated those two babies to God. And no doubt when I did that, I would have used my little patterns and prayers of Christian worship. And if you could see this book, it, it looks a bit like me now, a bit older, battered and held together with scotch tape. But if I was using this book, on that occasion, I would have prayed in that place. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you peace. I was there because I was their friend. I was there because I was their pastor and I was there because they needed a priest someone who would stand with them and for them and who in the name of God would remind them they were not forgotten nor were they God forsaken sometimes people need a priest you and I have a great high priest who has fully entered the human condition. You and I have a great high priest who has gone through the holy curtain. You and I have a great high priest who stands with us and for us. You and I have a great high priest who is our advocate with the Father. You and I have a great high priest who is able to empathize with our weaknesses. You and I have a great high priest who rulers and priests has made us. And so we should be ready as followers of the priestly Christ 
to take a stand with and for people in the name of God and to remind them they are not forsaken nor forgotten. And we should do that not, not simply for people we think deserve it. We should do it for the people who need it. When Moses prayed for the people of Israel in Exodus chapter 32, when he interceded with God on their behalf, he didn't do it because they deserved it. He did it because they needed it. When Jesus cries from the cross, Father, forgive them their sins. They do not know what they are doing. He's not saying it because they deserved it, but because they need it. When the Apostle Paul says, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse, he's not saying it because people deserve it. He's saying it because people need it. Sometimes people need a priest and don't even know that themselves. And sometimes we should be that priest. At chapel, over the last two semesters, in every single service, we have prayed for the world. We have prayed for people we know and we have prayed for people we don't know. We've prayed for people near, we've prayed for people far, we've prayed for people in college, and we've prayed for people on campus. Some of whom wouldn't necessarily own our faith. And I think about our prayers yesterday with the faculty when Dr. Robbins was praying for the campus. We have prayed for people and we pray for them, not merely because we think they deserve it or we know them or they believe. We pray for them because we think they need it. And sometimes we have to be priests. And that's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to be a priest, to pray for people. And I'm going to ask you to, insofar as you're comfortable with this, what I want to ask you to do is just hold out the palm of your hand and in your mind, place someone or something in that. Someone or something that needs you to pray. Cup your hand a little. Don't leave them standing there. Take them. Own them. Hold them. And little or large, I want to ask you, lift them up. As I pray for those in your heart and mind for whom you're being a priest. Let me pray. Lord God, we come and we gather as your people, those who you have made kings and priests. And for the people we lift before you, we pray, almighty God, be active, be awesome, be bountiful, be beautiful, be caring, be compassionate, be dynamic, be delivering, be excessive, be extravagant, be forgiving. Lord God, we pray, be non-forsaking. And we lift these people before you because our great high priest is the son who you appointed, who is able to empathize with our weaknesses. Oh, Lord God in heaven, hear the prayers of your people for the world in which we live and remind us not to let ourselves go too much because sometimes the people need a priest. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.